Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. If you'd like more content like this, visit us on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on January 24th, 2021, on the basis of Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. gospel reading and also our sermon text for this morning is taken from Mark chapter 1 verses 14 to 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is God's word. You may be seated. At once, at once they left their nets and followed Jesus. What does that say to you? Is it that Peter and Andrew and James and John, they're just kind of the guys that are easily drawn into something? Is that it? Could it be that they just, they kind of hated their life? They hated their lives as fishermen, so they were so ready to just leave the past behind and move forward with, with whatever came next. Because it doesn't really seem like they thought about it much, did they? They just left their nets and they, they followed Jesus. Maybe we hear that, but we don't feel that. You kind of know how that is, right? When you read something or when you hear something, you hear it, you understand it, but, but since you weren't there, since it's not happening to you, you don't necessarily feel the gravity of what just happened there. So let me put this in perspective for us a little bit. You're going to work on Tuesday this week, and it's a day just like any other day at a job that you've worked for nearly 10 years now, and you've kind of grown to like that job a little bit. This day is unlike any other day. But it is kind of a good day at the same time. You got your coffee, there were donuts in the break room. It's a great day. You're a couple hours into your work day. And some random person comes up to you, and they're, they're from a different company, from a completely different job field, has nothing to do with the work that you do. And they walk up to you and they say, come work for me now. And you kind of look at him and you go, okay. And you follow, you follow them out. You don't go to your, your cubicle and pack up your things. You don't go talk to your boss and, and see if this is okay with him to go. You don't even call your wife to, to tell her or talk it over with her. You just pick up your things and go. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Kind of strange if you actually did that. That's essentially what Peter, Andrew, James, and John did. They left their nets and they followed Jesus. That's what it says about Peter and Andrew. What it said about James and John, they left their father 
He was in the boat with the hired men. He, they just left him there, and they, they followed Jesus. The natural question then becomes, well, why? What would cause the disciples to leave everything that they have ever known to follow Jesus? Well, let's freeze that story for a second, and let's hit the rewind button and go back in time to before they knew Jesus. In fact, let's rewind so far back that we go back before Peter, Andrew, James, and John even knew about the promise of the Savior, even before they had faith. Let's do that for you, too. Let's hit the pause button and hit rewind. Let's go back to the time before you had faith. Now, now for some of you, maybe you don't even remember that time. You were just a little, little baby when that was the case. Maybe for some of you, you can remember. But, but whether you were four minutes old or, or 20 years old, there are three truths that are true about all of you and me when that was the case for us. Number one, we were born into sin, right? We inherited it from our parents. They inherited it from their parents. And all the way back to Adam and Eve, they passed it down to us. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's reality number one. Reality number two is the sinful mind is hostile to God. Romans 8 verse 7 says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Reality number three. An unbelieving mind cannot accept Jesus. Cannot accept God or the things that come from God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So, Knowing those three realities, born into sin, hostile to God, cannot accept God, doesn't that just amplify what's happening with Peter, Andrew, James, and John? Jesus comes up to them and says, come follow me. Now, if they were still in their state of hostility, they would reject Jesus even as the Savior or as their Messiah or as their God. But they didn't do that. And... They left their nets, their lives, and they followed Jesus. They had been turned from somebody who was at one time hostile to God to now a supporter of God. And, and the same has happened for you. And so you're already at this conclusion, but I'm going to say it out loud anyways. Whatever it was that caused that great change, that great shift in the lives of the disciples to turn them from host, hostile to supporter turn you from hostile to supporter, has to be great and it has to be powerful. This was a dramatic change. And it leaves you saying, how did that happen? It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Apostle Paul. We read about his, his first departure on his first mission journey in Acts chapter 13 this morning. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul did before he became a Christ follower? Before he became a Christian. He was a professional persecutor, right? Which means that he hated Christians. He hated them, and that's maybe even an understatement. He was a professional killer. He, he enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed his work in rounding up Christians, throwing them into, into jail, 
beating them, having, having them killed. He, he was seen nodding as Stephen was stoned in front of him. If there was anybody who was hostile to God, if anybody had fully given themselves over to the hostility that we heard about in Romans 8, verse 7, it, it was the apostle Paul. He was hostile to God. Yet, eventually, he became a follower of Christ. And not just a follower or a supporter, but he became one of the greatest ambassadors of Christ. And, and so at that time, and even for us today, after hearing that, the, the flags go up in our brain, right? What happened? What happened to Saul that, that made this complete 180 change in his life? From going from killing Christians to being one of the greatest ambassadors to writing 13 books of the Bible. Whatever this was had to be extremely powerful. I was trying to think of what a modern-day example of that might be. Maybe if you, you flipped on the, the TV this morning, and the, the headline read that there is now peace, enduring peace, in the Middle East. Whew. You'd say, man, that has been a, a, an area of turmoil for so long. If there is now enduring peace in the Middle East, there had to be something big, something dramatic, and, and if you're somewhat curious, you'd want to figure out what that thing is, right? Or maybe it's turning on the TV and saying, now there are massive agreement and massive uh, areas of cooperation on both sides of the political aisle in the United States. This must be a big day, a big thing that made this change. Or if Packers and Vikings fans started getting along, uh, you, you get the idea. You get the idea. There had to be something powerful that brought this about, that made somebody who was hostile a supporter, and even more, an ambassador. Martin Luther talks about it a little bit. In his explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed, that's, that's a mouthful, isn't it? it? We say the Apostles' Creed about two times a month, right? We didn't say it today, we said the Nicene Creed. Next week we'll say the Apostles' Creed. And you remember when we say it, we start by saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty. That's the first article. The second article, I believe in Jesus Christ. The third article then is about the Holy Spirit, right? And so in his explanation of the third article, he starts off by saying, I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. He has called me by the gospel. Jesus kind of talks about this at the beginning here. It says that Jesus is talking about this at the beginning. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. This is the powerful thing. The gospel, the good news, those two words are synonymous. The good news is the powerful thing that called Peter and Andrew, and James, and John, it called them to faith. It turned them from an unbeliever to a believer. The good news of God, the gospel, is what has called you. Through, through the gospel, through the work of the Holy Spirit, you were turned from someone who was hostile to God into a supporter of God, into someone who believed in God. This good news is so powerful that, that descriptively in Scripture, it talks about how it changes this Heart of stone. This, this is what we were like when we were unbelievers. We were this heart of stone. And, and the good news has penetrated that heart of stone and made it a heart of flesh. 
It's turned you from an unbeliever to a believer, from damned to saved. That's a big deal. That's a big change, a big dramatic change in your life, but that's not all. It's changed you from unbelieving to believing, but it has also transformed your heart and mind. It it didn't just make Paul complacent and say, okay, I'm saved, now I'm going to sit back and and do whatever. No, he's out and he's going to tell everyone about it. He went on several mission journeys to do it. He he gave up a lot of, of things in his life, including his own health, to make sure that the word got spread among the people. This is powerful because the gospel, the good news, is powerful enough to bring you into the kingdom of God. Jesus came and announced that, didn't he? He says, the kingdom of God has come near. And for any other kingdom, we'd be like, okay, whatever, you know. This this kingdom that you live in, in this world right now, take it or leave it, right? Any other kingdom in the history of the world... It has its positive, it has its negatives. But this is a kingdom unlike any other kingdom ever. The kingdom of God is a kingdom where grace triumphs over merit, where forgiveness triumphs over revenge, where a sure hope supplants a, a, a temporary wish, and where temporary is replaced with eternity. This is the greatest kingdom ever, and this is what the good news has been preached to you to bring you into the kingdom of God. Jesus came to bring that to you. He came to proclaim it. Because he didn't want you to live in just the kingdom of this world. And he definitely didn't want you to live in the kingdom of hell. But he wanted you to live in the kingdom of God. And so he came and proclaimed that the kingdom of God has come near. He came and proclaimed the good news, but he did even more than that. He came to be the good news. He came to bring about the kingdom of God by living a perfect life that you couldn't and I couldn't. By by dying the death that we deserve. We deserve to go to the cross. We deserve to to be punished for our sins, but he he did that for us. And he defeated death by, by rising to life again. And because he did all of these things, because he was the good news, because he was and is the the gospel. He has brought you into the kingdom of God, and that has changed realities for you. Those three realities that we talked about before, those have been completely reversed now in the kingdom of God. Now you are no longer defined by your sin. Yeah, you were born into sin, but you're not defined by it, controlled by it, owned by it any longer. You have been set free. The chains have been released. You are now free to live for Christ. Yeah, you were once hostile to God. But now you look at God as your dear father, and your identity, what what controls your entire life is that you are his dear child. Yeah, there was a time when you couldn't accept God, when you couldn't accept anything that came from God. You were repulsed by it. But now, through faith, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you actually want to do things that, that please God. And you can make those decisions in your life to do God-pleasing things. This gospel is so powerful that it has done all of that. And so you can start to see why the disciples were so quick <laughs> to, to let the nets go and to follow Jesus because the greatest kingdom ever had come near and they wanted to be a part of it. There are essentially two reactions when you've been brought into the kingdom of God. And what the disciples showed was one of them. I want to be in it. 
The other one is, I want others to be in it, too. A while back, I was reading an article on the, on the internet. I, that's about as specific as I can be. I, I couldn't remember exactly where this article came from. But it doesn't matter that much. Because the thing that I took from it was a term called opportunity costs. And as I say that, some of you probably already know what that is, or maybe can figure out what it is. Opportunity cost is essentially what you give up uh, to choose one decision over another. So uh, say you, you and your spouse are deciding you're going to go out to eat, but one of you wants to go to uh, El Tapatio, the, the Mexican place in town here, and the other one wants to go to, to Brandon's Steakhouse, Okay. Uh, and so you're weighing both options. What's, which one's going to be better? And, and no matter which one you choose, you have to give up something, right? If you choose El Tapatio, then whatever spouse wanted Brandon Steakhouse, uh, the opportunity cost, the thing that you're giving up is that one, that person that wanted Brandon Steakhouse is probably not going to be quite as happy going to El Tapatio, and, and vice versa, the other way, right? No, no matter which decision you make, there is a cost to choosing one thing over another. Another way to illustrate it is this. Uh, someone hands you a, a crisp $100 bill. Now, you can probably think of a lot of things to do with $100. But as soon as you move on one of those things, then you, you immediately eliminate a lot of other things that you could have done with that $100, right? You're, you're giving up those things to move in, on this decision. That's the opportunity cost. So with that in mind, you kind of wonder... Did the disciples think about the opportunity cost? Did they think, if we go with Jesus, what are we giving up? Well, let's think about that a little bit. They're giving up their profession. They're, they're giving up the life that they, they knew. We don't know exactly how old the disciples were at this point. We kind of imagine that they'd be in their early 30s at this point. So they would have been fishing for a long time, especially if this was a family thing, like their father Zebedee seemed to be a fisherman, and so they, they maybe grew up as fishermen. So, so they're leaving everything that they've ever known to follow Jesus, which is kind of a comfortable life, and in a predictable life in some sense, too, to following Jesus where it's very unpredictable, right? They don't know what's going to happen if they follow Jesus. They're, they're leaving their family behind, in a sense. Uh, they, they would get to see their family again, but they're not going to be able to spend every day in the boat with their, their father, Zebedee, anymore, and they'd be out traveling with Jesus. They'd be giving a lot of these things up to follow Jesus, and that was the opportunity cost. Let's look at it the other way, too. If they would have stayed as fishermen, what would they have been giving up? Well, first of all, and obviously, they would have been giving up direct access to God in the flesh, <laughs> If they believed Jesus was who he said he was, they would be giving up talking to and being with constantly God in the flesh, the bringer of the kingdom of God. They would miss out on hearing him teach and preach. They would miss out on seeing him do miracles. Now, the disciples couldn't tell the future. They didn't know the things that they were going to see and experience. But if they knew who Jesus was, they would have known what they would have been giving up. And very obviously, the disciples obviously chose to follow Jesus. This was going to be way better. We're, we'll give up anything back here to follow Jesus because this is going to be so great to be in and around and near 
the kingdom of God and the bringer of the kingdom of God. Now, now there's some application here for our life, but I want to add one caveat before we go into the application for our life. This call may be a diff- this call is not maybe, it is a different call than the call that you have. Now, now maybe some of you who are, are still students, you're, you're thinking, maybe I, I'd like to give being a pastor a try, being a teacher a try, being a staff minister a try, and I'd love to encourage you in that. Maybe some of you are thinking of a second career, too, and going to be a, a pastor, a teacher, a staff minister, going into full-time ministry. That'd be great. I'd love to encourage you in that. But for most of you here, that's maybe not something that you're, you're considering. And so the call of the disciples, this was a call into full-time ministry. They weren't just going to, to fish during the week and then on weekends they were going to help Jesus out. No, they were being called into full-time ministry. So it's not a one-to-one comparison, but there are some applications that we can make for our lives from this. Because you know how great and how awesome the kingdom of God is. You know that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace and forgiveness and eternity and is better than any other kingdom out there. And you know that you'd so desperately want to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so you're going to be willing to to carry out your calling as a Christian and make sure that you're in and around and near the kingdom of God and the proclamation of the kingdom of God often. And so here's what this might mean for you. It might mean that, that Sunday mornings become a regular part of your routine, your, your schedule. That, that being in worship on Sunday morning is so important to you because it's not a law, it's, it's not something that you have to do, but because you know how valuable it is. You know that, that if, if you aren't here on a Sunday morning, then, then you're going to be running on empty for the next week. You're not going to have the strength to keep going through the next week because you haven't been filled up by the word of God and encouraged by brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to be here on Sunday morning because you understand that your presence here encourages other people. Did you know that? You may not even get a chance to talk to everyone here or nearly everyone here, but just the fact that you're sitting here today is an encouragement to the people around you to to keep coming and to keep learning and to keep praising God and to keep praying to him and hearing his word and being built up. It's an important thing, and you're going to encourage one another to do that. Here's another thing that this might mean for you in your life, that you'd be willing to push through things that are somewhat awkward at times. And here's what I mean. Sometimes it's awkward, especially when you're first starting doing a devotion with your spouse or a devotion with your family, it can be awkward. Because maybe it's not a part of your normal rhythm to, to after supper to pull out the Bible and read a little section of the Bible and to talk about it. Maybe it's not natural for you to talk about faith and, and spiritual things with your, your family or your spouse. Maybe it's going to feel weird the first time you hold hands with your spouse and pray together. It might feel awkward. But here's the thing, we're willing to give up our feelings of comfortability because we know how great it is to be in the kingdom of God and to hear about the kingdom of God. And what's going to happen is you spend time in the word with your spouse, as you spend time in the word with your family, you're going to grow closer to God, you're going to grow closer to one another, and God's word transforms your heart too. Those conversations that were maybe awkward at first, 
after doing it for some, for some time, they won't be so awkward anymore. It'll bring you closer as a family, as a couple, closer to God and closer to each other. And let me give you one more. One more application of this. Because you understand how great the kingdom of God is and because you want to be in it so badly and stay in it and be around it and be near it so badly, that you'd be willing to, to give a little bit of your time. One of the, the, the biggest commodities today, hottest commodities I should say today, is time, right? Uh, in a lot of ways, time has replaced money as, as one of the, the most precious commodities to us. But knowing how, how valuable the kingdom of God is and knowing how awesome it is to be around it and how you need to be strengthened by the word, we as Christians are willing to make this a priority, make being in the word a priority. And so maybe that means for you that you have a non-negotiable 15 minutes in your day. Non-negotiable. Nothing is going to, to distract you from spending that 15 minutes in the word in the morning. Nothing's going to, to stop you from doing that. Maybe it's that you, you decide, I'm going to give up a half an hour, hour of relaxing to come and join in a Bible study at, at your foundation, one that we're offering right now or one that we're going to be offering in the future. Because you understand that you can't just drink water at the, the beginning of the week. You can't just drink water on Monday and say, I'm good, I don't have to drink any more water for the rest of the week. We understand that the word is so powerful and the word strengthens us so much that we, we need to hear the word more than just on Sunday morning. It has a lot of applications to our lives, right? The kingdom of God is great, and we want to set our goal as Jesus' goal for us. He, he said in Matthew chapter 6 to seek first the kingdom of God. Let's make that our goal. That, that's the first reaction. Here's the second. We want other people to be in it. We want other people to be in the kingdom of God. And so he uses the, the picture of a fisherman. Now, when you picture fishing, you probably picture what I picture, right? You picture one fishing pole, and you have your bait on the end of it. Uh, maybe you're a bobber fisher, and you just let that thing sit out there, and, and when the bobber dives, then you have your fish. Maybe you, you like to reel it in, but that, that's what I picture. That's probably what you picture, too. In those days, they used to fish with a net. And so they would throw the net out on the side of the boat, and then it would take a couple people to reel that net in, and then they'd look in the net, and they'd see what they had. And, and so here's what would happen. They'd throw the net, and one time they'd catch one fish in there. They'd take their one fish out, and then they'd throw the net again. And this time, they'd catch two, and they'd take the two out, and they'd bring it in. And then the next five throws, they wouldn't catch anything. And then on that, that next throw, they'd reel in ten at, at one time. It was so sporadic, and it was complete luck that they're throwing the net in and they're reeling fish out. It's such an apt comparison to, to evangelism today that sometimes you're going to throw things out there and you're going to catch some and it's going to be really exciting. And sometimes you're going to throw the net out there and you're not going to catch anything. God's in control of those results. God's in control of who comes and how many come. You don't get to control those things. But here's one thing you can control. You can keep throwing the net. You can keep throwing the net and throwing the net and throwing the net. You, you can try it on the, on the left side, on the right side, in the front, in the back. Keep throwing the net and watch God bring people to faith through the power of his gospel, right? 
You are armed with the gospel. You got everything going for you here. Keep throwing that net and watch God reel them in, and it'll be exciting work for us here at Sure Foundation. But welcome to the kingdom. It's a great kingdom to be a part of. It's a kingdom that we want so desperately to, to be in, be around, and be near. And we want so many other people to be a part of it too. Amen.